So the passage we're going to look at today um, isn't what you typically would hear um, as far as Christmas-themed sermons. In fact, most people skip over the first 17 verses in Matthew. I know that for years, like when I would preach around Christmas time, would, um, would go right to, to verse 18, where it talks about, you know, Mary and Joseph and, and the angel appearing to them. Uh, but the first 17 verses in Matthew, like no editor, no editor would ever let an author start a book like Matthew starts it. Matthew starts out by giving us a list of a bunch of names that are hard for us to pronounce. And he, he gives us these names, the genealogy. But what we're going to find today, and here's the big idea, the big takeaway from these verses is this, that we see that in the genealogy, there's a helpful theology because it shows us that God is faithful to his people. We see that as was predicted in the Old Testament, thousands of years prior, that there would be a Messiah that would come, that a Savior would come, that a second Adam would come and he would be the sacrifice for the sins of his people, that he would live a righteous life, that he would die a horrible death on the cross. In fact, as we read in the Old Testament, the prophecies of how specific they are, it can't help but just stir our hearts when we see that and to see how that this was predicted hundreds, in some cases, thousands of years prior. And they came to pass. Now that's one of many reasons. That's not the only reason, only good reason to believe, right? To have faith, to trust that the Bible's true and to trust that Christianity is true. And Jesus is who he claims to be. But it's one of many good reasons to believe. In fact, the burden of proof actually lies on the skeptic to explain. Explain how a prophecy like in Isaiah that was written 700 years prior, at least 700 years prior. And how it could be so specific to the details of the horrible, gruesome death that Jesus would die. Prophesied about his burial. And, and how, how could that be? If, if this is just a, a made-up book that's inaccurate, that Christians just have changed over the years to try to, to try to make it say whatever we want, explain how a prophecy that specific could take place. The Bible's a miraculous book, and one of the reasons we know that is because of fulfilled prophecy. Now, atheists and skeptics will argue all day, and they'll quote a lot of Jewish sources to try to show, well, those prophecies weren't indeed prophecies, and there was already a fulfillment of those. Um, but, but I would challenge you, maybe you're here, you're an honest skeptic searching, and you've heard, you've heard some of those arguments and you've heard people just that, that maybe as they have no idea, they've never really dove into it. They're just repeating something that they've heard. And maybe you, you're an honest skeptic and just wondering about some of those things. I would really encourage you to, to, to follow. Um, uh, you can look this up on YouTube. There's a lot of different platforms. But look at, at Dr. Michael Brown when he talks about the prophecy of Isaiah 53. He's debated it with, with Jewish rabbis. He's debated it with atheists. He's debated it with people all over. And honestly, people have come to the conclusion now that they've just stopped debating him because they don't have a rebuttal in an answer. And again, I say that that's not the only reason that we believe, but it's one powerful reason when we look at some of the specific prophecies. And as we look at these names, we see a powerful, powerful truth that God is faithful 
and that God always keeps his word. That we can know God will be faithful for us. Why? Because as Romans says, we have hope when we look at the scripture and we see God's faithfulness in the past. Let's dive into the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas begat Phares and Sarah and Tamar, or of Tamar. Phares begat Ezram. Ezram begat Aram. Aram begat Aminadad. Aminadab begat Nason. Nasat begat Solomon. Solomon begat Boaz of, Re of Rechab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. So, so Matthew's listing this first group of 14 names. He's listing the patriarchs. So again, Matthew's audience is primarily to a Jewish audience. And he's listing some names. This isn't an exhaustive list, but this is a selective list. Basically, Matthew has an agenda. Matthew is pointing out that the lineage of Christ that he has that he has a right to the throne of David in a legal sense, right? And that's why he's, he's following Joseph's lineage. Though Joseph wasn't Jesus' actual father, it was a miraculous virgin birth, as was predicted. It was a miracle, and we're going to look at that next uh, week when we pick up. But Matthew is pointing out that Jesus came, uh, that he uh, is of the lineage of the, of the house of David, as was promised, as was prophesied. So he's showing the lineage as leading up to Joseph, who would have been Jesus' adopted father, a father figure to Jesus, and would have given him um, the, the legal right, so to speak, uh, to claim uh, the, the heir of, a, of, of royalty, because it came through the father. And so this is what Matthew's pointing out. But what's interesting, in this first group of names, we see the patriarchs. Now the Jews, the Jews were so blinded um, uh, to, to their own um, unrighteousness. I mean, they thought, man, these guys, these are our, our these are the, the patriarchs, and these guys are elevated. But yet, man, you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Man, they had a troublesome past, full of family problems, full of. I mean, they were adulterers and liars and cheats and deceivers and swindlers. But yet, they had this this mentality that they were so much better than these Gentiles. And in reality, they weren't. But you know what's interesting in this list of names? Matthew lists four different women. At a time and in a culture where women had no voice and no vote, why would he list these women? Now, by the way, that's not the view of Scripture, and that's not the view of Jesus. In fact, we see in Scripture... That women are elevated, women are respected, women are held in high regard. So when I say that they had no, vo no voice and no vote, I'm not talking about the biblical view of women. I'm talking about in the culture at that time. But Matthew lists four women. And look at the women. These, again, this is the lineage. This is the, the, the ancestors of Christ in a physical sense. Look at these women. Well, he lists, first of all, a woman by the name of Tamar in verse 3. Tamar in Genesis actually pretended to be a prostitute to swindle her father-in-law. Fascinating story. And it's amazing how God was 
God was dealing with Judah who, who in his treatment of his brother Joseph. And fascinating account. But the reality is like, we got to look at that and think, man, well, really? Like, this is someone in the line of Christ? Tamar swindled her father-in-law. Then it's listed in verse 5. Um, or sorry, later on in, in uh, verse uh, 3. We see Tamar, right? That was, uh, that was uh, read about in Genesis. And then um, Pharaoh begat Ezram. Ezram begat Aram. Aram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nason. Nason begat Solomon. Solomon begat Boaz of Rechab. Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. So, so we see Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman. The Moabites, they were on the, the lowest rung of the social ladder. The Jews just despised them. They looked down upon them. They were the outcasts. So we have, we have Tamar. We have Ruth. We have Rahab. Remember Rahab in the book of Joshua. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho, but God used her to hide the spies, to preserve his people, to give them victory in Jericho. So we see these three women. And then Matthew doesn't even list. Matthew doesn't even list by name, the next one. He says, the, her that had been the wife of Urias or Uriah. He's talking about Bathsheba. Bathsheba who committed adultery with King David. And David tried to cover it up and actually manipulated to have Uriah in, in the heat of the battle. And then for the generals and in and, and the army to pull back and basically left Uriah there in the the, the heat of the battle to die, trying to cover up his sin with committing adultery with Bathsheba. And yet Matthew lists these women who at one point, at least at least one point in their life, they were looked at. They would have been looked at as the fringe of society, the outcasts. Again, as we look at the patriarchs, they weren't a whole lot better themselves. But it's interesting what does this teach us and what do we see from this? Well, I think we see an important applicable truth. And that's this, that God uses broken people. In this lineage of Christ, we see people that were broken, people that were filled with, 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 with sin and mistakes and failure. But yet they're listed in the lineage of Christ. And you know, this is a really, really important truth to us. Because maybe you're here, honestly, for you, you really have been struggling with, with purpose, with identity. Maybe you really battle that with what, what purpose could God have for me? And maybe it's because of past mistakes in your life. Maybe it's failures. Maybe it's a sinful past. And, and, and maybe Satan constantly brings that up. Maybe the people around you constantly bring that up. And they'll never let you forget about things that even happened years and years ago. Now that's not saying we take sin flippantly and carelessly. As we read, as we studied and read through Ephesians, just our last sermon series about how that, that God gives us a new identity in Christ. And he calls us to live in holiness and righteousness in a life that's, that's, that's pleasing to Christ, not because of our goodness, but because of his grace. So it doesn't mean we treat sin flippantly, in fact, we're going to look at this next list of names. We see, we see God judging his people because they turn their back on him. But we can take comfort in this. 
this important truth, and that's that God uses broken and sinful people. And that God has a purpose for each and every one of you who are, are under the sound of my voice, who are sitting in here today. For those that are watching online, God has a purpose, a specific purpose. And there's no true joy and fulfillment and satisfaction that we will find apart from finding our purpose and fulfillment in him. That God has a purpose for you. That you are loved, you are valuable, you have meaning and purpose. Not because of our goodness, but because of his grace. We find here Matthew lists these women who at least at, one, at some point in their life would have been looked at as, as the fringe of society. But yet we see that God had a purpose in them and through them. We continue to read. First of all, we see God uses broken people. It's a message of mercy. But we read this next set of names. And Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begat Abiah. Abiah begat Asa. Asa begat Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram, Ozias, and Ozias begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Amon, and Amon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. You see, this next set of names, it starts out with Solomon, and it ends with God's covenant people being carried away into exile. We see a message of warning, and that's this, that sin has consequences. Now, I say this again, not to contradict everything we just talked about for weeks, going through Ephesians. The man, our identity is in Christ, that we are not a sinner. We are a saint when we are in Jesus Christ and that we have the righteousness of Christ that's credited to our account. And we take comfort in that. We're sealed by the spirit of God and we rejoice in that. But you know, the reality is that even though we're saved from the penalty of sin, that we're the process of sanctification, we're being, being saved we're being saved from the power that sin has. And one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin when we're in his presence. Amen. And what a wonderful day that will be. But you know, this process of sanctification, even as a believer, it's possible that we can live a life and, and, and choose things that God even saved us out of. And, and the reality is it's always a downward spiral. When we stop following God. It's always a downward spiral. Solomon started out. And, and he was elevated. And, and the kingdom of Jerusalem was elevated to the one of the most powerful prominent places in the world. Why? Because Solomon when given the choice he asked God for wisdom. He could have asked him for power. He could have asked him for wealth. He could have asked him for, for military might. But Solomon said no I'm asking you for wisdom God. Would you guide me to follow you and, and would you help me to lead your, your, your kingdom? Solomon started out so well. The Bible talks about how Solomon, Solomon loved many unbelieving women. And those women turned his heart away from God. Those women led him to eventually worshiping idols. 
and we see the effects, this downward spiral that affected many generations to the point where Israel was, was so wicked, their kingdom split, it was divided, and there was wickedness and idolatry. They would even sacrifice their own children to idols, and we see that because of this descending cycle, that God's people were carried away into exile in Babylon. And this was a specific covenant people. And God told them, God told them, if you follow me, you're going to prosper. If you follow me, all of these things are going to happen. If you don't follow me, if you turn and serve other idols and other gods, then all of these bad things are going to happen. And I understand this was a specific covenant people at a specific time. But yet we see an application. We see this all throughout scripture. And that's that sin always has consequences. But it's always a downward spiral when we stop following God. Maybe it's a message of warning to us today. Maybe there's, there, there's sin in, in, in your life. And, and again, I don't mean a, in sin in the sense of we all struggle with sin and we all battle with, with sin. And it's a struggle. That's a, to me, I, I think that's honestly a sign of our salvation is that there's a struggle that's going on. There's a battle that's taking place. And that's why we need to walk in, the, the Bible says walk in the spirit, surrender to the Holy Spirit of God and be in his word and, 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 be, and spend time with God to be able to, to, through his power and might overcome that sin. But maybe there's like a, a secret sin that you're struggling with. And maybe you just need to be open and honest about that. And go to somebody and, and, and have someone that can pray with you and confess that sin, turn from that sin. Why? It doesn't mean God's going to kick you out of his family and, and, that, and, and that you're going to be forsaken by him. But the reality is in here in this life, sin has consequences. We don't always see it right away. We don't always see it right away. But, but make no mistake that, that God always punishes sin. That there's always consequences for sin. We see that with his covenant people who forsook God and stopped following after God. And we see that in our own lives. When we stop passionately following him, it's always a downward spiral. And sometimes it's not always immediate and evident. And never forget a conversation I had with someone not terribly long ago and in conversation with them, they were, I, I could tell they were just frustrated because they said, the people that are close to me now in my life, they're, they're not, God's not a priority in their life. And they're actually, they're, they're not interested in any, anything spiritual anymore, but their life is going great. Everything in life is great. But you know what the reality is? You don't always see the effects of sin immediately. The prodigal son didn't run out of money on day one. There, there is there is some pleasure in sin for, for a season of time, the Bible tells us. Again, I don't say that to, to make you fearful or to, to, in, in a judgmental way, but I say that as a warning to us. I say that as a warning that sin always has consequences. The book of James talks about it starts with a lust and a desire for, for something, and then that turns into sin, and the end is death. It's always, it always leads to destruction. And we see that again in, in the context here of God's covenant people, they forsook him. They stopped following him. And maybe today, I don't know what struggle that, that you're facing. Maybe there's temptation that nobody knows about, but you and God that you're struggling with. And there's no shame in having that struggle. But, 
But understand that there are people that love you, that care for you, that want to pray with you, that want to help you through some of those struggles. Don't wait until your life is destroyed and ruined before you ask for help, before you come to people for prayer and accountability. Why? We see this this list of names where it starts out with Solomon and he sought God. Jerusalem was elevated and it ends. The kingdom's divided and God's own people are carried away into exile in Babylon. But we continue reading the last list of names and we see God's amazing faithfulness to his people. He says in verse, in verse 13, Zerubbabel begat Abiud and Abiud begat Eliakim. Eliakim begat Azor. Azor begat Zadok and Zadok begat Akim and Akim begat Eliud. Eliud begat Eleazar. Eleazar begat Mathan and Mathan begat Jacob. Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. What we see this last set of names is it's a message of faithfulness that God always keeps his word. That God's promises will always be fulfilled. That when it seemed, when it, when it seemed like God had forgotten his people, after 400 silent years, we see that the Savior, the Messiah, was born. Just as was predicted. At a time that was perfect. Galatians tells us when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin under the law that we who are under the law might be redeemed, that we would be saved because God always keeps his word. There's a particular atheist who's passed away several years ago, but you probably know the name Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens in every one of his debates and every one of his talks, he'd always go on this certain rant about how ridiculous the birth of Christ was. Now, he didn't really give us any reason why he thought it was ridiculous. It was just one of his rants about the timing, about when, when Christ came and, and where he came. He was just appalled that it was in Bethlehem for whatever reason, um, ignoring all the historical records that we have. He, for some reason, thought that they couldn't read and write in Bethlehem because he always would harp on, well, why wasn't it China? where people could actually read and write. And again, it just, he had a very odd view of looking at history, of ignoring a lot of factual things. But Christopher Hitchens would always go on this rant. He didn't like the timing and he didn't like the place of Christ's birth. But make no mistake about it. The timing was perfect. It was a perfect timing. God's people were in darkness and yet God came through. In his word, we see a census for taxation purposes that got Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. We see there was a star that supernaturally guided the wise man. We see it was at a time when, 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 when Rome had built roads to connect the known world. It was a time where languages connected people. It was a time of spiritual darkness where people were hungering for truth. And at the perfect time, Christ came. Just as he predicted just as he prophesied, just as he promised that he would. 
And what's, what's the, the thought? What's the big idea behind just this list of names that we many times, myself included, would ignore in the Christmas story? Normally, I would pick up in verse 18, the birth of Jesus happened this way. And that's where we'll pick up next week. But this list of names, this list of names has meaning. Because what we see is that God is faithful to his people. That God always keeps his word. And maybe today, honestly, that you're, you're struggling. You're struggling with maybe some anxiety or fear or doubt in your life. Maybe you honestly feel like God has abandoned you and that God has forgotten about you. And again, I'm not putting anyone down. I, I totally understand. There's times in life that we can feel like that. There's times in life where we wonder, God, what are you doing? Why are these things happening? Why aren't you intervening? And there's times we question the faithfulness of God. But the reality is we see in Scripture, we can trust God now. We can trust God in the present. We can trust God for our future. Why? Because of his faithfulness in the past. God's people, as we see throughout this list of names, they were unfaithful. But yet we see God is faithful and that God always keeps his word. How can we have confidence of the promises that we read about? Some of the, the promises we see were for a specific covenant people, Israel. We see that, that exactly what God said would come to pass, would, would come to pass. But you know, there's a lot of promises in scripture that aren't just for a specific covenant people, Israel. They are true for all believers. And how can we have that confidence? How can we rest in that assurance? Because we see God's faithfulness in the past. And we can trust that God will be faithful in the future. And today maybe you need that reminder. Reminder that God is faithful. And that God keeps his promises. That God keeps his word. So many prophecies. Some have said hundreds. When you look at all the specificities of, of, of how the, the place that he would be born. And the things surrounding his birth, a star that would guide the wise men and kings that would, would travel, the place, the specific town that he would be born in. And then you see the prophecies fulfilled in his life, in his death, the kind of death that he would die. Isaiah 53 that is so, so descriptive of, of the gruesome death that he would die that was written 700, almost 800 years before he was born. You see the prophecies about an empty tomb. The prophecies of how that he would be buried with the rich, a rich man who, 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 who took petitioned for his body to be buried in his tomb. Things, things that it takes far greater faith to believe it happened by chance than that the prophecies were fulfilled. Maybe today we need to be reminded that God keeps his word, that God is faithful, that we can trust the Bible that we have, that God's word is true. That God's promises are true. Why? Because we see how the first coming of Christ, all those things came to pass. And as believers, we're awaiting not the first advent. That came. But we're awaiting a, a second advent, a second coming. Christ is going to return. And Peter puts it like this. He says that, it, that the last days are going to be scoffers and people are mocking and asking, well, where is the promise of his coming? Things continue as they always have been. Yet how do we have the confidence that God will keep his word? Because we see that God came at the perfect time to a waiting world. 
and he is coming again. And as believers, as followers of Christ, we don't have to fear that. We don't have to dread that. I don't know about you guys, but I get a lot of people asking me about just with what's going on in the world around us. Like, what does that mean? And it's almost like in a fearful way. And I understand that. And you know what? There's, for, for whatever reason, God has revealed to us in his word certain things and certain amount of information. And some of the prophecies of his second coming, honestly, we, we have a lot of questions about. What is that all going to look like? May I just say this, that it shouldn't be, for believers, it shouldn't be something that we fear. It should be something we long for, the return of our Savior. So when he comes again, it's going to be way different than the first advent. He's not coming as a humble baby. He's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. For his children, we know that we will reign forever with him. And we take comfort in that. We take comfort in a trying time in our culture. I would by no means try to exaggerate that this is the hardest times that we've ever gone through. I mean, you look at history, history of our world, history of our nation. It's been filled with some really, really difficult times. But also there's no question that these are difficult times that we're living in. These are uncertain times that we're living in. But as believers, let's be wise. I'm not saying don't, don't take precautions. I'm not saying don't, uh, you know, prepare and be, be, protect your family. We don't have to live paranoid. We don't have to live in fear. We can rest in God's promises. We see here a list of a bunch of names. What does it mean? What's the theology in this genealogy? We see that God is faithful. That God keeps his word to his people. And we can rest assured in that truth. If you're here today, you're not a Christian. You don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe God's just been speaking to you now for, for, for quite some time. And God's just revealing to you your need of a Savior. Maybe today's the day to, to completely just surrender to Him and put your trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here, you're a believer, but honestly, you're struggling with, with things in your life right now. Maybe it's a struggle with just purpose and, and, and can God use me? Look at all the mistakes and the past failures. And, and that's just Satan trying to discourage you. That thank God, by his grace, God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And that's only fulfilled in following him. Maybe you're here today and you're fearful, you're worried, you're anxious about things in your life. Maybe you've got family members that are, 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 have, have really big health concerns right now. Maybe financially things are, are uncertain for you. Whatever it is, we can trust that God will be faithful. Because we see that God has always been faithful.